Welcome back to another episode of Season 5 of the RAG Podcast. As you guys know by now, this is the number one podcast across the recruitment sector globally. And we've always been on a mission to help recruitment agencies grow by interviewing founders and telling their stories of success from startup all the way to scale up and exit. Well, this season, we're a little bit different. How do you, as a recruitment leader and founder, maintain your family and friendships whilst being the best person at work? How do you stay physically fit mentally and emotionally? And how do you find time for yourself in the madness? How do you find time for self-interest, for hobbies and self-improvement? Well, to help you with this, I'm going to be interviewing someone every single week that can demonstrate experience in one or more of these areas. So I'm going to talk to recruitment founders and also some experts from outside the industry who can deep dive into things like relationships and health and well-being. So sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy today's show. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the RAG podcast. On today's episode, I was joined by Harry Bigwood and Rex Rustling, the founders co-founders of a business called The Rec Hub. The Rec Hub started towards the back end of 2018, really got going in January 2019 as a contingent recruitment agency. However, they flipped the model almost a year or so later into a embedded talent business. So they now have a very interesting model where they have a clear sales and marketing function and a big delivery team of recruiters who work on-site or virtually on-site with clients all over Europe. There's 55 of these guys. They've grown rapidly since they changed the model. Um, now, what I love about this episode is Harry and I have been friends for a long time. I actually offered him a job in uh, in 2015, which he declined in my recruitment days, which still pisses me off because I spent at least 20-odd quid on him in, on a beer. Um, but the first time I've met Rex today, and uh, these guys are they're good friends. They're very genuine They've got a really interesting approach to, to what they're trying to do, you know? They, they were open that individually they're making probably the least amount of money they've made in their career, but they are the most fulfilled. And they talk about how they're trying to drive a culture that's happy first, successful second as a result, as opposed to saying, go and hit your target and then you'll be happy. They're saying, let's be happy and then our targets and our success will come off the back, which, you know, if they're getting to that point with 55 people, they're doing something right. So... I'm super confident you're going to love this episode. Let's get into it. Without further ado, Rex, Harry, welcome to the RAG podcast. Hello. Hello. Good Thanks for having here. us. I know. All dialing in from Sheffield. This is the first episode of the RAG that every member of the session is coming from different parts of the city, but we're all dialing in from Sheffield, which is a it's weird a, It's thing. a sign of times to come. Sheffield it is. is where it's at. Future recruitment. Yesterday, I recorded another show. Um... Was it on the show? Yeah, I did. And we, we'd liken Sheffield to be the Miami of the UK, which was a, an absolute... I'm going to call bullshit. Yeah, it was an absolute <laughs> piss take. What we were saying is, he was like, people, you know, lived in New York and then they decided to go and live in Miami because the weather was good and, you know, in the pandemic. And I was like, well, that's why I moved to Sheffield from London. I was like, it's like the Miami of the UK. Um, exactly the same. So we're dialing in from South Beach, everyone. UK version of South Beach. And it is, you know, you can tell with Rex's background. He's got his surfboard in the background. It's just ready to go. Um, is this is this also a sign of the times that we're all in the same location yet we're all digital, all yeah, all, well, all virtual? Yeah, what, could be doing this is. in one place, really. Yeah. <laughs> What's so funny is Harry actually said, "Why don't we do it in person?" And I was like, "I don't even have the kit anymore." So, 
The story is, we went in the pandemic, we had an office in East London. I had like 12 grand's worth of cameras and equipment, all got stolen. And then we, we gave notice on the office because we were fuming with them. And we never, we never went back. So we never bought the kit. So the, the show's been remote since then. So even if I wanted to do it in person, I wouldn't be able to. I, don't think. I, wouldn't, know, I wouldn't have the shit. I'd have to go out and buy it. And you know what? I don't want to. So let's get on with it. So I'm going to start. Guys, thank you so much for your time, by the way. Um, thank and you for having us. What I wanted to do is just get a, li- a really brief overview. I've given you a little introduction, but um, start with you, Rex. Tell us sure. who you are and what you do. Uh, yeah, sure. So um, a little bit about me. So I'm a father of uh, two young children. Um, and uh, when we started the Rec Hub, obviously, we did absolutely everything and make tea. But now uh, I really take care of uh, business development and sales and growth for the Rec Hub. Right. So you're BD focused. Yeah. Um, Harry, what about you? I'm uh, CEO um, and basically acting on uh, making sure that we're we're sort of heading in the right direction, focused on the vision and the mission, and um, bringing all the other parts together. We're we're sort of a we don't lead with uh, like the, the typical sort of hierarchy. Um, there's lots of people involved in the leadership of the business, and I just try and make sure that I'm bringing everyone together and that we're all we're all pulling in the same direction. So, Harry, just give us an overview of the record. What is the record? Like people don't know. We're an embedded talent partner. So we, uh, we work, work on a subscription basis. So as opposed to your typical contingent recruitment, we would, uh, so to speak, rent a recruiter to clients yeah. who are looking for high volume hires. Um, yeah. And so that sort of the, the leadership uh, needs to be a lot bigger because it's not your typical model, if that makes sense. There's different yeah. departments and, and that sort of stuff. Okay. Um I mean, obviously, I, I know the embedded talent model, and it's uh, it's interesting how quickly it's rising across the sector, and you know, there's been a lot of people move because I know Harry, your your experience was contingent, right? So, mm. can we just go back a bit. Like, mm. Rick, when did you, how did you get into recruitment? What's the story there? Uh, well, it's a very typical story. I've got a degree in art history, so naturally ended up as a salesman. Art history, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, um, after realizing there wasn't a world shortage of curators, um, I ended up going into uh, actually like taxi advertising sales in London, uh, which was like, you know, typical first foray into sales in London, um, you know, very like a lot of people had a mate that was doing well in recruitment. Um, so I got into it. Um, soon found out it's actually really hard, um, <laughs> but spent nine, nine years actually now doing um tech recruitment uh actually the first two businesses i worked at i think you've had both of my ex-bosses on this show i think you had mark zanofsky on here a while ago as well as uh david spencer percival so i I was that staff group and then i moved to singapore where um i basically led a team doing a perm tech there Um, spencer ogden yeah, yeah, for Spencer Ogden. Um, and that was always 360, always building my own teams from scratch. So gave me a lot of confidence that, you know, when the time came, I'd be ready to do it myself. Um, so that's actually, I met Harry. Uh, I think the first time I actually ever met Harry, he was walking on his hands across the office. Um, standard, as you do. Standard Harry Bigwood. Um, uh, and that, our times and, have and changed. Kept, <laughs> or not. Um, <laughs> so we just kept in touch. And, uh, you know, he sort of knew I like harbored ambitions to start an agency i knew he felt the same way yeah. um and then yeah i think three and a half years ago the the sort of pieces of the puzzle fell into place and it was it was time to to do it so harry yes you, sir. how did you start in, in recruitment? what's your story uh i 
I actually I started as a roofer, <laughs> IKEA mm. roofer, then uh, then some some other sort of sales, shitty sales roles. Um, always just wanted to be in sales and never got the opportunity, so I ended up in roofing and that sort of stuff. I think I left college like 2008, um, which was not the ideal time to try and get a, a job yeah. in the city. So started roofing uh, for a couple of years and then went into the city. Um, Ended up in in uh, someone I can't remember a guy called James Riley on on the C to C once um, into London mentioned he was working at a company called Genesis. Don't know if you know right. them, no. but he he sort of gave me a little overview that you know you can earn commission and this and that. And so then the next week I uh, made five applications, had an absolute beast grilling by Mark Zanofsky and Paul Flynn. Yeah. Um, but they, they, uh, as they say, took a chance on me. I was a little bit more wide boy than, than the, they were usually used where to. Where were you you're from? Like the coast of Essex, right? Is that where you're yeah, from? Yeah. Yeah. I remember, obviously, we met in 2000 and what would it have been? 2016, 15, 16? It was 15. I left yeah. staff group while well, I was leaving staff group. Yeah. And you came into my desk as a potential team member for me at Venquist. Yeah. And I remember. Because your billings were similar to mine, right? Sort of 700 grand numbers. And there's not many people yeah. walking your desk with that. So we were like, all right, this is cool. And I had, the business were trying to propel me into more management. So you were That's like right. the, the obvious successor and life and pensions and all this shit. And I remember meeting you. I thought, what age were you then? So that was seven years ago. Yeah, um, I'm 32 now. So 25. 25 yeah. I, yeah. One thing I remember about you is you were very mature. Like your life, I think you were you already married or you were living with your missus. No. Uh, I I moved out uh, on my own at 20, 24 ish, 23 and a half. So I just, um, yeah, I just sort of live with mum and dad until I could have enough money. I remember you seemed like you just had your shit figured out from all the people I interviewed. You were like, yeah, you knew where you wanted to be. You'd build massive money. You wanted to build a team. I was like, well, you don't meet these people very often. And then I offered you a job. I took you for a beer as well. That must have been all bravado because I still ain't got my shit figured out. Well, there you go. You're a good fake anyway. You're a good liar. Um, But the good thing is I spent at least 28 quid on you, mate, on beer. And you fucking turned me down. Like, honestly, I thought, took him for a beer, brought Adam, my mate, with me. We're like, we'll we'll get him closed. You know, we'll go to the the Albion around the corner, get him a pint. And then he just went off the radar. Just ignored me for a bit. Classic recruiter. Ghosted me for about a month. Darren Brymill took me for a coffee and sold oh, me the dream, mate. That was it, sold then. me the, the Opus dream. Yeah. Um, yeah, He's so I went to, went to Opus after that. I'm not going to say I can compete with Darren Rymel's story. So, no, I get why you would have. I get why you went. But you then went over to Opus. Um, and I think, didn't you go to, is it JDR Energy? Or was that the way you went? JDR there? Energy, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and it was a, there was two different companies that merged to, to become JDR Ross. Um, uh, but it was JDR Energy. You, remember I saw you at the Recruiter Awards about a year later, and you lot were winning every. You won everything. Yeah. You? you were like we were yeah. sweet, just at the, just stood on the stage for an hour waving at people. <laughs> like, what are they doing? I'll be honest, it was a fantastic business. Really yeah. loved it, and and the people were great. Still, uh, I think next uh, in two weeks, going out for for lunch with Jack, my old MD, Jack yeah. Rawcliffe, and do you still there? And Darren Rymill, uh, he is. He's moving to the US. Right. Uh, in three weeks. Um, but uh, yeah, Rymil's not obviously there anymore. But uh, So when yeah. did when did this whole story around, or the, the idea to start a business start? When, when, when's the earliest like conversation you can remember that, right? What, and, well, what, and why? And why did it come about when it did? 
Well, funnily enough, I, I think I decided I was going to start a recruitment business about three months into my first job in recruitment. Yeah. Um, and what I thought is, right, okay, if I'm going to do this, I need to be able to um, build a desk um, from scratch, uh, grow and manage teams, and I need to do it in at least two places to know that it wasn't a fluke the first time. Um, to be honest, so- that's a really clever Oh, really, really smart statement that I think more people could could learn from. <laughs> it's a very, it's a very wrecked right. statement. He's the yeah. most logical man in the world. <laughs> yeah, I, didn't, I didn't think that logically, me. <laughs> yeah, but I just systematically went about it. So, uh, you know, the first, um, you know, first three and a half years at, at Eurostaff with Paul Flynn and Mark Zanofsky, that that's where I met Harry and and actually another one of our directors, uh, Bill Brewer. Right. Um, and, you know, it's one of those where you, you go out for work drinks and you, and you hatch plans, um, you know, thinking it may or may not come to something. Um, and then, you know, after that, I left. I went to Singapore, spent two years. This was my second go um, where I pretty much started things from scratch there, built that up to a team of six. I was like, OK, I know I've done this twice now. Um, and uh, at that point, you know, I, I kind of kept in touch with, um like harry and uh, and bill um but it had all just been kind of like oh what should we do should we do, like are we going to do oil and gas are we going to do technology are we going to do finance um and uh, really those conversations just started happening more and more frequently until it got to the point where we were jumping on um like it would have been 9 p.m it would have been like 10 p.m calls for you and sort of like yeah. 6 p.m. calls for me or like 6 a.m. calls the next day. Where were you we started doing this every, Singapore. I was in Singapore and they right. were in London and we were doing this every week. And then it was just like, before we knew it, um, we had like a 17 page business plan um, for, for, for an empire. And wow. then it was like, that... right, well, there's nothing to, nothing left to do, but to do it. Wow. So um, you actually wrote we actually just, oh yeah. I spent my whole week in Lanzarote, uh, writing a 17-page business plan, which none of it yeah. really made any sense. I'd yeah. written job descriptions for senior-level directors and, mm. <laughs> you know, when all... got carried away a bit. I got very, very carried away. A little yeah. bit. But what, what I would say that was really important is at the beginning, we were all, like, really open and honest with each other about, like, what kind of business do you want to build for yourselves so that nobody felt like they were fitting into somebody else's dream? So we... We have obviously spoken to lots of people who want to set up recruitment companies, but we all had a really clear shared goal. Um, and none of us wanted a lifestyle business. Um, yeah. Everybody wanted to, to uh, like build a large recruitment, uh, a large staffing business of some kind um, that we could be really proud of. And that, that kind of fitted with everybody's goals, which, which mm. I think made it a lot easier. So you think everybody who's involved, because I don't yeah, so know. Just, of... uh, yeah, just to, get, to sort of go back on that. Mm. So when we first started these plans, Bill, um, uh, I was best man at Bill's wedding. Bill, I, I was, when I was roofing, that was Bill's dad who right, owned the company. Right. Yeah. Um, and then Bill joined the, Bill joined staff group or Euro staff group as it was then um, about uh, six months, 10 months after I did. And then Rex was a year after that. So we sort of all, all sort of uh, grew up in the recruitment world at there. Um, but obviously I had a big history with Bill. So when we started talking about setting up, it was with, it was me, Rex and Bill. Um, and then through that process, Bill got a couple of promotions and a big fat paycheck um and uh 
he decided that it, that actually it wasn't the right time for him. So Rex and I just just went, let's go for it. Let's do it. Who cares? Mm. We'd done all the research together and, and sort of looking at market fit and everything else. But um, then me and Rex sort of took took the, the, the took it on from there, I suppose. And and then very quickly thought um, we aren't, you know, we what what I had in my head, me and Rex were on the same wavelength, but we really wanted to focus on a brand. We wanted a brand. We wanted, you know, we had big ambitions and to build a big business, but to do that, you need a brand. I feel like there are hundreds of recruitment companies, agencies that set up every day. Mm. Um, And what makes one different to the other is nothing really, you know, the rates maybe I'm a market specialist. Everyone is, Mm. Um, but we wanted to maybe have a brand as a differentiator. So we quickly brought in Ben Leeson, um, as a co-founder, um, and he so is ben, also my brother-in-law. Yeah, I thought that. I thought you meant, I'm sure you. So he's yeah. your brother-in-law, and he he was working in marketing, right? He was a friend before he was a brother-in-law. That's another right. story altogether. Right. Right. <laughs> um, but but uh, yeah, he was uh, he was a marketing manager. Do you know one thing that um, I think Opus taught me that they that, that was quite cool is um, I think either Brymill or Golden brought in. Alex, the yeah, uh, Alex the marketing, Crash. Alex Crash, yeah. And what that, you know, typically a recruitment agency didn't bring in, I think she was man- She was a PR relations manager. She was managing mm. Beyonce and, and yeah. you know, for, for Sony. So they brought in somebody different to do, to bring a different vibe to their marketing. And so we sort of thought the same thing. Let's, let's bring somebody in who doesn't understand typical recruitment um, who understands yeah. brand more than recruitment marketing. Um, and, you know, for, for, I think it's, it's worked really well, you know, bringing in and having an emphasis on brand quite, so quite what, early on. Yeah, so, massively. So when did, when did you, can you remember when you actually started the business? What month was it? Um, it was September 2018. And, um, you know, I think we'd planned it for some time in uh, 2019, but then things got sped up a bit because um, I was living in Singapore and then me and my wife found out that we were having a baby and we didn't have insurance. And you need to have insurance to have a baby in Singapore or it costs uh, a great deal of money. So it was like, right, lads, um, any chance we can hurry this up? Because I'm flying back to England. Um, <laughs> Are you from Sheffield, Rex? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I'm from Sheffield, uh, sort of five minutes down the road from you. Yeah. Um, in, in Broomhill. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and and literally, it was. Uh, I think it was July. I was like, lads, um, can we hurry this up? And you know, at that point, we were, we were ready to execute. So um, it was September 2018. We set up the business. Then I had a baby in um, like the first week of November. So we didn't really get cracking. And then it was December. So we kind of had everything in place, but then didn't really start until January 2019, I would say. Right. Yeah. You started a month before me. I couldn't start because of uh, yeah restrictions, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I was, I was doing it on my own. Where's for, the name Rekrub come from? <laughs> oh, go on. Go on, Harry. That was... Um... <sighs> So I spoke to my mate Zeth. Have you ever interviewed Zeth? Zeth uh, at Plexus? No. Um, you, you should. He's he's a uh, got, got really Zeth, really nice business. Out. Yeah, um, they focus on blockchain blockchain recruitment. Um, but uh, I remember bringing him. We, me and me and Bill were in a pub trying to figure out a name. Well, he actually I rung him and said, "How on earth did you come up with Plexus?" 
Um, and he said, just go to a pub and just keep drinking until something happens. Mm. Um, and uh, we, we went through a whole range of, uh, of ideas. I think Rec Hub started as, was it Hub 8, Rex? Hub, they, Hub 8. Yeah, Hub 8. I mean, yeah. The 17 pages of a business plan was like nothing compared to the WhatsApp chat about what to call our recruitment company. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it just went on and on and on. And we had all these crazy, like really left field ideas. And I wanted to call it Hub 8, which is basically the place at, at Bletchley where... Um, you know, they'd come up with the um, machine to crack the Enigma, the, the yeah. Alan Turing machine. So I thought, right, yeah. okay, um, that's a good name. And then we were on this Hub 8 theme. Um, and then I was in Singapore, but Bill and Harry went to the pub and just kept drinking until they came up with a name. Um, we asked, we actually ran out, yeah. we ran out of paper and we asked the, uh, the waitress, you know, have you got more paper? She just printed, she just got the receipt paper. <laughs> um, and we were just, uh, yeah, about three bottles of wine in and, um, just scribbling some stuff down and ended another, up with... Isn't there another recruiter hub? There's a recruiter hub that was a training pro business. Could be. There's loads. But, no it, but it was quite... But the idea was basically um, originally three founders, three words, each word being three letters. So it was this kind of theme of three running through. And the no, original right. idea was to have three, three kind of like sub-brands um, that were, you know, looking at like cybersecurity and infrastructure and software engineering. So it was like this running theme of three that um, like isn't the case was, was today. Was 17-page business plan a contingent recruitment company or was it? Yeah, embedded originally, yeah. Where originally. Did that, where, when did that all change? Or tell us a story around that. Quite quickly, when we started... Um, well, it started with the, the even as a contingent business, we we had this idea that we would go more delivery model. Um, I think for me, the three hundred and sixty model, it worked for me, but I saw it not work for so many yeah, people. Same. Yeah, but they were great recruiters. They were fantastic yeah. recruiters, and and as soon as they were put in a delivery model, um, they would be they would thrive. They would be super good um, because the concept of of a three hundred and sixty model, like the characteristics of a great recruiter aren't necessarily the characteristics of a great salesperson. Mm. You know, like a salesperson is a, in a positive way, a mercenary, money motivated, um, you know, sort of uh, blinkered to, to some degree. And a great recruiter is the opposite of all of those things. They're more caring and selfless and they're more, more motivated by a pat on the back and they're more service oriented and, and all those things. And so you, it's, it's, very it's rarely that you find the 360 works really well with with those characteristics combined in an individual yeah yeah so we sort of had this idea to focus on building out a sales team building out a recruitment team building out a marketing team that fed into the sales team and so on and so forth and and that sort of very quickly lended itself quite nicely to the embedded model um we liked the idea of the embedded model uh, it, it sort of lended itself well to our, our vision of yeah. trust um, because then we're not motivated by uh, increasing the candidate's salary or the fee uh, or, you know, trying to ram a candidate in this, this place or fighting clients off of one another. It, it sort of uh, it lended itself well to, to our setup, our model and yeah. our sort of our theories in, in, about recruitment, I suppose. 
Yeah, definitely. For me, I think one of the things that was a big motivator for us setting up our own businesses was that we felt like something could be improved in recruitment. And um, by eliminating this idea of a commission model and working on a sort of subscription basis effectively, we just felt there was a much higher level of trust and transparency and buy-in between the candidate, the recruiter and the client because, you know, they know there's no agenda they know that we're just literally there to provide the best possible experience for the candidate and, and the client. Mm. Um, and that, that trust and transparency just enabled us to do recruitment better. So talk, talk me through the journey then. So when, did, when you started to January 19, how long until you flipped this model and, and how did that all happen? We decided quite quickly, actually, that we yeah. wanted to, to head towards the embedded model, but we needed cash. Yeah. Um, because to payroll people that aren't generating revenue straight away, obviously, is or even, you know, you've got a bank of recruiters that aren't on a project or doing 360. You just pay, you're just bankrolling them. Right. So we, we had to sort of build our coffers. So we started, I think, probably 12, 18 months building uh, yeah. a contingent business. And and actually, at the time, we always had this uh, this idea of. Uh, we had it was called engaged, embedded, and uh, and mentor, which were the three sort of arms that were going to be the business. But engaged was the typical 360 model or the contingent model, should I say? Um, embedded was embedded, and mentor was a branding solutions arm. Um, and as soon as the embedded took off, we had no one to f- fulfill the uh, the the. So it was it, Rex went on first to think and pair. Yeah. Um, then I went on to. Bit, no, sorry. Um, Mike was first on Sharpest. You was on yeah. Pink Compare. Then Mike on Sharpest. Then me and, and you, you went on Bitpanda. Bitpanda. And then we were like, we can't do any contingent recruitment now because we've got no one else in the business. It's so just, that's what I'm thinking. Like, how did the team grow? So there's three of you at the beginning. Obviously, Ben would, wouldn't have been recruiting, right? No, so what, yeah, he no, was no. thinking about content and strategy. Uh, he was running, he was basically doing all operations. Right. So finance, <clears> marketing, <throat> everything. everything, offices, whatever. And then you, and it was just you two at the start doing deals. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yes. And it wasn't, it wasn't the case. That it was like, right, now let's switch to embedded. And it took off immediately. Like we, we had, we thought of embedded. We didn't really know it existed. We sort of organically started to think of this subscription-based model. And then, and then, like it was a case of trial and error. So just having, you know, so many conversations with clients about it. Loads of different variations on proposals. Uh, loads of different kind of like methods that we could try. And we, you know, we must have pitched it tens of times, and uh, you know, getting knocked back and back and back before our first embedded project landed. And then from that moment, it you know that's when things started to snowball really. So it was the case that um, we needed one great case study that could feed into another, into another, into another, and then it just literally snowballed. So it went from like two people to three to five, and then we just literally were growing by like four people a month for the whole of the we year. Also, one of the challenges was making sure that the internal uh, model working environment culture fit the external so mm. you know we we actually had a commission structure and a bonus structure and all that and that had to change when we went to embedded so there was a few variations of that um a couple of the earlier earlier employees may uh, may have been a little bit frustrated because we changed a few times um yeah, yeah. The, the model to, to to make it fit and, and obviously make it profitable 
Um, and we're, we're, I think, yeah, as soon as we got to with me, Rex, Mike were on projects on an embedded project and Ben was sort of doing everything else. Then we were like, right, so we can, we need to hire now. So we started hiring. I remember getting to 10 people and thinking, this is crazy. Have we got to 10 this quickly? Like the bills are gone like, Um, and then we were like right let's hire two more and then let's just you know consolidate I think this year then we started growing we had a plan to get to eight people didn't we yeah done that we've done that by like February so then we were like oh shit what we're gonna do um was that because you kept hiring uh, finding more clients or was there's more roles coming out the clients you had like why did you need to grow so more people to be honest like more people were coming to us um than anything else just saying like I've I've heard of you through such and such and they've said you've done a great job. You know, can you, you know, we've got these plans. Can we have a conversation? And then we've just literally, it was one of those things where reputate the reputation that we'd built in the two previous years was sort of paying dividends. And what sort of clients you and roles were you filling? Um, it was, it was basically um, tech roles for tech companies in Berlin. Um, wow. But then, you know, it was like, we picked up a client in Vienna and then it was picking up clients in uh, other cities. And then it's it definitely was not in the UK. It's all Europe. Uh, well, nowadays it's a bit the UK because it, it used to be all, we used to want to be the most trusted tech talent partner in Berlin. Now it's the most trusted tech talent partner in Europe because yeah. we're filling roles all over for clients all over. Yeah. Um, and, and actually then someone was like, oh, can you do all our finance hiring? And I was like, oh, can you do our marketing? So now it's anything that a tech company needs in any, in any department. Often um, as a tech company grows, tech, the, the tech is the first thing to help build the product up. But then when they've got a decent product, they need to scale the sales yeah. team. Uh, they need, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And if you know the culture, you know the brand, and you're a, you're a good recruiter, you can, you can flip between, between roles, right? Um, yeah. So have, you, have yeah. you guys been keeping an eye on people like Talentful and Elements and those brands that, that have already stepped into the world and grown ridiculously well? Yeah. Definitely. I think they're, they're, um, we, we have ambitions to grow along, alongside them. Um, it's one of those we, we're, uh, we're conscious not to grow too quickly. For our, you know, I think growing from – we're now at about 55. So growing from 55 to, to 100, 150 will, will be a, a slightly easier journey than – where we was 18 months ago at four to 50 because we we've had to hire lots of different roles that don't generate revenue. We've had to install lots of different systems, HR systems and all different things that, that you just didn't, didn't really think about at four people when you've just, you know, you two, mm. you two and your Excel spreadsheets, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think, I think yeah. we're hopefully setting ourselves up a little bit to, to be able to, to grow a little bit quicker. What's yeah. the biggest... Our, well, sorry, sorry, just interrupt. What's the biggest like challenge though when you go from not working in house recruitment mm. to to leading a, an outsourced version? Because I know the talentful boys did they did go and work in house. That's kind of where their idea came from. Yeah, but you boys didn't, right? You're agency recruiters. So because what I don't want is every, everyone listening to this might be like, "Well, that's, that's this is a dream, right? Let's fuck fuck contingent off. Let's all go embedded." <laughs> but there's got to yeah. be some challenges with that. It can't be as easy as just switch the model and you grow to fifty people in two years. Uh, no, it's it's actually really really hard, um, and it hasn't worked for everybody. Um, I, because obviously a lot of your your hiring pool is is agency, mm. um, people that are don't want the the three hundred and sixty model, mm. um, and 
not everyone coming from, you know, the differences between agency and internal are, are huge. Um, and a lot of clients will notice it. Um, so we, we try to, we've got a, a transition program, which our L&D manager Sophie runs. Um, and that helps transition people from being an agency recruiter to an internal, focusing on things like, you know, uh, attention to detail, which typically recruiters are pretty awful at. Um, stakeholder management, time management, things that are just different. You know, when you're, you're pitching a hiring manager for, for a, a slot for CV feedback, when you're internal, you just have to go into the hiring manager's diary and actually ringing him to talk through or her to talk through CVs is a waste of their time. They, you're trusted to be the gatekeeper of their time. You're not selling to them. Yeah. You're, you know, the, 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 there's, a, there's a different, you're protecting yeah. them and, and the business, you know, like the business needs to be um, kept. You need to be protecting the business of, of uh, from rubbish CVs or, or whatever it might be. So you're not just trying to sell a candidate. You're, you're working with the business and that mindset change is actually huge. We've seen, we've had to do a lot of work. We've got two internal recruiters ourselves, and, and, and we've had to do a lot of work with those guys because they've both come from agency rec to rec. And the amount of times I have to say, guys, stop selling me these CVs. If yeah. you think they're great, I trust you put them in my, in my, in my diary We'll have a chat with them, you know, we'll take them through the process. But it's just that change in mindset of changing from selling a CV to, to really trying to find the right profile for that business. Yeah. And, and I was just going to say also a big learn for us is I feel like now as a business, our structure and how we operate internally probably has more in common with a tech company than a recruitment business. Yeah. Um, you know, we like sales and marketing work hand in hand on the growth side. Um, we basically our, our sort of processes are completely different. Um, like we use Salesforce rather than a CRM necessarily. Um, it, it's just all very, very different. But you are um, like, I'll be honest, like the work that we've done at Hoxo for the last five years has been all about inbound and market, you know, mm. trying to drive that, that marketing message for recruitment agencies to get inbound leads and fundamentally as a business like we're announcing this we're, we're kind of moving away from inbound as for, for contingent agencies because i don't I, I think it's broken and i don't think yeah. i actually don't think it's solvable because what you're doing is you're going against the business model what you guys have built it fucking works right because you're like hoxo you have a small sales function you have a big delivery team and you have a fucking very clear persona that you always sell to right yeah so you can engage you can educate you can track you can work whereas when you've got let's just take opus you've got 85 london recruiters right in an office how the fuck from a marketing perspective do you prioritize and deliver to all of them i've no it's, idea it's impossible it doesn't work you can't mm. imagine having hubspot or salesforce linked up to every one of them and it's just not going to happen whereas personal branding which is where we're moving to does work because you can literally plug into the individuals in the business and overnight if they can well not overnight but in short periods of time if, if trained if they know what they're doing at a desk level, then your business can educate, can, can yeah, and can start to brand itself in the right directions. It might it'll be it'll be different, mm. but it's a business model of people, and it will always be a business model of people until some form of technology replaces that. Definitely. So, you guys are hundred percent are more like a classic tech company or a marketing agency or someone who who knows their persona and then takes them on a journey, signs a contract, and then starts the work, which is different Definitely. than the other way around. 
I think yeah. it helps us understand our clients more. If yeah. we try and operate like they operate, then we can understand them more and, and actually fulfill their needs more because we understand them more. Um, mm. Yeah, I don't know that the personal branding uh, side of the business is way more important for contingent. I'm interrupting this episode to talk about our main sponsor today, Talent Ticker. And if you're looking for ways to get ahead of your talent in, uh, well, ahead of competition in 2022, Talent Ticker is here to help. Everyone says to me, Sean, candidate short market. Like I've literally just got off my academy today and I've had 150 recruiters tell me the candidate short market. What that means is they're spending so much time trying to find candidates and they're spending less time talking to clients, okay? Which means there's a challenge because if the market corrects itself and turns, are you going to be aware of which are the, who are the hiring clients? And are you also getting access to the best candidates? So Talent Ticker, through the end of this month, any Hoxo listeners who request a demo of the Talent Ticker product will receive a free personalized list of leads to help them get a jump on the rest of the year. It's the first recruitment intelligence platform. It's like the Bloomberg of recruitment that provides you accurate contact information of both passive candidates and the companies looking to hire. So it gives you that predictability of when a company's been, you know, got investment or grown um, to a point where they believe they'll be making hiring decisions. It'll tell you what type of roles and the contact information for the hiring manager. So it's passive candidates and the opportunities. It kind of seems a bit too good to be true. So anyone using this tool can guarantee you'll be calling the right person at the right time for the right reason. Don't wait. Go to talentticker or get.talentticker.ai forward slash hoxo and get your leads today. Um, I don't know from your side of it, uh, Sean, do you see it as a, a risk for a business? Um, if you've got a biller, you know, 800 grand biller who's who's really developing their personal brand to then to then take that to another place how, how does how, the what, same. is there a business protection there uh i think it's exactly the same as training them in any other direction like you know is it a risk to put them on a fucking management training program that they could just go and take to another company you know is it a risk to to teach yeah, them how true. to sell aggressively mm. is it a risk to teach them how to recruit of course any any skill you develop you can take with you but you've got yeah. to you got to, as a business, I, I'll be, I've just got off the phone to a huge client, like a huge potential client that's just said, look, I don't want it. I don't want to do it because I don't believe, I don't want my people individually to stand out. I want the company to stand out. That's mm. his direction. And I'm absolutely mm. fine with that. I think it's a bit old school, but I am fine yeah. with it. My opinion is if you create brands at a desk level, what you're saying is the productivity you could get from them before was X. Now you've just added a world that they didn't have before. So you just added an opportunity. With that will come some risk, no doubt. But the the reward should weigh outweigh the risk. In my it comes opinion. down to it uh, comes down to, to trust, you know, like yeah. um, and uh, ensuring that you're creating a good working environment for somebody. Yeah. So I trust you. You know, I'm going to give you tools to go out and be more successful. Yeah. Um, and and I'm going to create the best possible working environment so that you want to stay with us. You know, if you, you like you say, you give you a management training program, they could go get a, a salary bump somewhere else because they've got extra skill sets on their tool belt. But yeah, but they want to stay yeah. with you because you're creating an environment where they feel trusted, have autonomy, blah, blah, blah. Exactly. It's not the personal brand that's going to make them leave. It's the, yeah, it's no. all the other shit that you're doing. Exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. What do you reckon, Rick? 
Well, I was just going to say, like, partly related to that, you know, you mentioned the idea of what, what the, the sort of precarious and risk nature of having an 800 grand biller with a great personal brand and what happens if they leave. So one, one of the things that really makes sense for us as a business is that because everyone is, we don't have 800 grand billers, we just have great recruiters. And the last thing they ever have to think about is what their fiscal value is to this business. It actually helps us with culture and atmosphere mm. and environment um, so much because nobody is above the culture. We, we never have a situation where we've got an 800 grand biller who's <laughs> a law unto themselves doing what they want, yeah. who, um, you know, that doesn't exist for us. No one's bigger than the team. Yeah, no, no one's bigger than the Walking team. On and, his <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Although that, that is encouraged. Um, Rex was actually right. Yeah. I, I was actually walking on my hands in the London office two weeks mm. ago. But yeah. the difference is now it takes me two weeks to get over that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It hurts your back I, now. Age and weight, age and weight don't help. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. So what's it? So, so you 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 started it. Let's say it kicked off properly in 2019. Twelve months later, we hit a global fucking pandemic, right? So what yeah. what happened then? Like where where was the business going into into March 2020? Um, well, I think like a lot of people, I got a Garmin and started running. Um, yeah, <laughs> I got my. I, yeah, I, I, I exactly. I think everyone did. Um, to well, I think we we it was quite an interesting one for us because we unfortunately had quite a lot of travel tech clients going into 2020, oh, and wow. um, we just kind of like recognised the direction that things were going in, and uh, we picked and we started picking up more fintech and e-commerce clients because that was yeah. going, and uh, like like everybody, we had a little bit of a slowdown, but we managed to just keep ticking over. Um, so we managed to just not go backwards. And then when we came out of it, we, we kind of exploded off the back of it. Yeah, November on, November 21. Like the last quarter of 21 mm. was when we started growing, really. 2020, yeah. you mean? 20, uh, 21 was only say, six months ago. Yeah, it was the beginning. I would say that we started to really blow up at the end of 2020. Yeah. So the end of the first year oh, yeah. of the pandemic. Yeah, that's right. Sorry. That's yeah. been, if you the, remember, we went the last we came out of lockdown and then we, we went, went back we in. Went back in. We, went we, back were, in, we, we didn't come going. out till April. You remember, but but everyone yeah. I think realised that that lockdown was was very much about the, the health of the nation, but the, the the economy was fucking booming. Like everyone was yeah. doing really well. Like it was weird. it wasn't like the first one because the first one everyone was like, are we going under? Whereas this one was like, we're making more money than ever, but we're just at home doing it. It was just a odd yeah. time, wasn't it? And it the was. I remember um, it was a real dark moment when I think it was about November. Maybe Which that's one? why I got it stuck. Which <laughs> one? Yeah. Um, going back before the, the the pandemic happened, we actually made a conscious decision two months before the pandemic. To we was both based in uh, Whitechapel, yeah. um, and uh, we decided like, do we need to be in Whitechapel? Um, we always wanted to create a business that allowed people to work remotely anyway. Um, but we wanted to have people in an office as well. So we just decided, let's just go with the remote stuff um, in January 2020. Um, yes. And I went back to Essex, got a little office. Rex came up to Sheffield, got a little so office. You moved, and... So you did that before the pandemic? That's yeah. yeah, we did it. Yeah. We did it before. So, yeah, fortunately, we'd already started to develop a remote culture. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and then... And then it sort of, it sort of started, started growing probably... Uh, halfway through 2020 we got mike got ben and then november i remember we was contingent at the time and 
Mike had three three deals at a company uh, we were aiming for, Coville, yeah. I think it might have been. And um, and we were like, we had no pipeline. We were struggling. And we were like, every day, Mike, how's Coville looking? Mike, how's those, <laughs> Mike? And to the point yeah. where Mike must have just been sitting at home, like, this whole business is on my shoulders. Oh, wow. And then we came back in January 21 and Coville had just like disappeared and we, we had until May left in money like salaries and stuff um, and and then uh, then it all just started turning February was the, the really turning point for us we'd done mm. Rex had done the first embedded in uh, the back end of the last year 2020 and we knew that that was the direction we wanted to go in but we just had to get somebody another client to buy into the the concept and a big shout out actually to Paolo Andre. Um, <laughs> he, uh, he really, really supported us. So we worked with him at a company called Tor Radar on the contingent side. And then when he moved to Sharpest um, and he was sort of an advocate of ours there and, uh, and a, a sort of a promoter for us. So he got us into Sharpest as a, as a client. And we've sort of been with them ever since actually. Um, and uh, that was it, really. From there, it sort of snowballed. Um, we sort of th- felt that confidence. We can deliver. We can sell. Yeah. And then we just sort of uh, started started growing from there, really. Yeah. How have you... Think... Sorry, go on, Rex. Well, I was just going to say, I think the other thing that really helped us is because we'd made that conscious decision to go remote early, when we were growing, we were really uh, like aware that a lot of businesses that were going through uh, like big growth remote were really struggling to keep hold of a community and a team identity and an atmosphere. So we, we were very proactive proactive about having like a vibes team at the Rec Hub, making sure that people felt engaged with us as a company and that you know little, we had little communities within the Rec Hub, like the book club, the wine club, um, the health obviously the wine club. <laughs> yeah, obviously the wine club. Um, and, and just these things that basically meant, meant that even people who are working, you know, out of their bedrooms in shared flats during the pandemic felt like they were getting, um, you know, they were being taken care of and they weren't missing yeah. out on anything um, and that they weren't isolated. How has that culture evolved then? So now that the pandemic's effectively over, mm. the, the industry has gone very um, hybrid. You know, there's not many companies anymore that have five days a week in the office. Mm. Um, you guys have made the shift before. So how, how have you evolved that? So the culture has been the biggest challenge, I would say, um, you know, building a remote culture has been the biggest challenge, um, particularly with an embedded model. So if you're, if you're a talent partner with us, you spend five days a week at another company. Um, On site so, or is it remote? Well, vir- virtually, but your, you know, your, your majority of your 80% of your communication and your work is under a different name. Yeah. So then ensuring that there's, there's a culture, the rec hub is generating its own culture has been really difficult. So we, we do, we've always worked with a sort of a hybrid, hybrid ethos. Um, we run a weekly uh, end of week uh, sort of wrap up, we call it. And um, uh, there'll be once a month is a hub life, which just simply goes over business updates, make sure everyone's kept in, in informed of, of whatever's going on from a business perspective. Then there's quizzes and we get other people involved and speakers and all that sort of stuff in, in, on other weeks. Um, and then once a quarter, we do um, 
we we do a, a physical meetup. So we fly everyone in. Usually it's in London. So we fly everyone into London once a quarter, put them all up for a couple of days, do some do some stuff. Um, and that sort of enabled the the blend, the hybrid blend. Where of, where do your team live? Like where's the where's the spread? Well, all over the UK. One, um, one in Madrid. Yeah. One in Madrid. Mm. Um, couple in Bristol. Ten in Manchester. We did have one in Glasgow. Um, uh, a couple five around Sheffield. Sheffield. Five yeah. or six in Sheffield. Um, <clears throat> And then sort of dotted around. We've got a couple in Portsmouth. How many in London? Yeah. In and around the London area. So we've got an office in Essex, London and Sheffield. Yeah. Um, and kind of voluntary offices. So they're there if you want to go, but there's no pressure. Yeah. See, the way we did it is we went down the global WeWork route. So we've, because we've got nearly 20 people in, in South Africa and I think there's about 15 to 20 in the UK and then the rest in, in two in Portugal. WeWork was the best route because we, you know, Cape Town, Johannesburg, London, Manchester. Mm. Everyone has the same experience if they go in for a day. Problem is Sheffield doesn't have a bloody WeWork, does it? So I'm the only, well, I'm like the only person who can't get to one. <laughs> it's got a spaces, but we, we, we was with spaces for a while. Um, mm. They actually worked out just loads of money. Like yeah. no one, mm. if we looked at the uh, uh, cost, the value or cost, the usage, it was really not worth it. No. Um, so we decided to get small hubs when we had a, a, a large sort of. Are you group finding people, of people using them? Are people using them, or could could yeah, you scrap so, them? No. So in uh, Sheffield, not so much. London is getting used quite quite a lot actually. Um, we use an app called Officely. So right. our main com- our main communication tool is Slack. Yeah. Um, and part of the culture is actually having that. And we've got lots of different channels like Rex said and yeah, communities yeah. that we've built within that to maintain culture. But within Slack, we have this tool called Officely. So you can log in to, and, and book your desk um, because there's less desks than there are people. And that uh, tracks so. when, can you see exactly how many days people are doing and exactly. you know, who wants yeah. what? Yeah, and, exactly. and people can see that you know who's going to go in when so like there's no chance of them showing up when nobody else is in the office so if you if they can have a look at their office and see that there's going to be a couple of people cool. in then they they'll be up for it too but it's the data and the insights that's that's valuable because at the end of a year we can run the data and go right so people are mostly going in on these dates and it's mostly these people and and you know uh, you can then try and identify, do we need a bigger office? Do we need someone? All right, it's, it's more these people. And actually, they're based over that side of London. So maybe we should. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we'll, yeah. We'll, we'll use the data to determine how effective the hybrid offices are and where they should be. Amazing. And you mentioned Manchester's the next one that you're probably going to build. Yeah, I mean, it's outgrowing Sheffield at a, a quite a pace mm. at the moment. Um, yeah, we, we tried to build Sheffield. Um, there's not a lot of people. It's just not a big recruitment headquarter. I mean, no. obviously, that seems really obvious to everybody listening to this podcast, I'm sure. But we've just not like completely organically picked up loads of really, really good talent partners who are in Manchester. Um, and we've got, you know, a director who's joined us called Gareth Robin, who's absolutely amazing. And he's in Manchester. Um, Bill Brewer might well be moving up that way in the near future. So, you know, at the end of the day, um, just got to go with the flow. And the if thing about Manchester is, I mean, I, I left London in June 2020. So when mm-hmm. I split up my ex and I went 
back home. I went to Manchester. I went, well, actually went to Alderley Edge in Cheshire for six weeks with my brother. Then I pissed off to Ibiza for six weeks. And then I got a flat, got a flat in town in, in a place called Moda Angel Gardens, which is like the newest block. Amazing. Like literally amazing. And what I realized was everyone lived, moving to Manchester were leaving London. Everyone. Like I, yeah. I didn't really meet any Mancunians. I met people from, like in my block was people from all over the country who'd left London and went, mm-hmm. where am I going to go that's, I can still feel that city vibe, pay 50% rent. Mm. Um, and they were like, dot Manchester. And people from like Edinburgh and Glasgow and yeah. Ireland. And it was just, so Ancoats now in Manchester is literally, is booming. Northern Quarter and Ancoats. And if I was going to really... build a northern business, you've got to do it there. You haven't got to I really wonder how the impact on, what the, what the impact on wages is going to be. Because a lot of people are moving from London to other areas all over the country to get more value for, for their money, like well, where they're living, but the they're, keep, they're keeping the London salary yeah. and you get yeah. a London waiting. Right. So yeah. Should people in Manchester, now that all, everyone from London's all, you know, escaped to Manchester, should people in Manchester start looking at getting more money? Because actually, well, it's an inflated, you know, it, salaries are inflated anyway. And that's obviously if it, economically, it can't carry on the way it's gone, but the, the truth is, yeah, the big like living there, the biggest difference is rent. It's not food, it's not alcohol, it's nothing, it's rent. It's yeah. just absolutely mm-hmm. like what I could get in Manchester, housing, buying, or renting is just it's ridiculous what you'd get in London for that. And, but that's and typically Sheffield, why even. you've got a London waiting, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it never quite worked out that I mean, when I moved to London, I mean I lived in Clapham. I think I was on twenty six grand in my first year. <laughs> and I worked out I had three hundred quid a month to live on. When I didn't before I got paid any commission, and I had a girlfriend at the time who worked for Austin Fraser in Reading, and she used to come to London and meet me, and I didn't realize how much she used to spend. She used to pay for everything, and when we split up, Amar had to give her my business partner had to pay her eight hundred quid because I didn't have it, and then I went and got a fucking Halifax bank account just because they give you a hundred pound. That's how skint I was, just because they give you a hundred to open it up. And I remember thinking that was about a month before my my career kicked off. Um, and Clapham's the most like tempting place, the highest rate of 25 to 35 year olds in Europe. Like yeah. you can go out on a Monday and it's booming. Um, I don't think the London waiting of salaries makes a, a big enough difference, if I'm honest. I think it's it's a fucking, it drains you. London is designed yeah. to take the money. You're still out of pocket, definitely. Yeah. I, sure. I don't know, Rich, what you, what you joined on, but I remember starting at staff group and I was like 19 grand a year, I think. Well, they obviously must have rated you more than me because I started on 18. You start on 18 and then after probation, you go up to 19. But even then, 18 would not have... Mm. You'd have been paying a fair whack on rent. I mean, you'd be, you'd be in a room in a shared house. But I, mean, I was living was with mum and dad, but my, wow. my commute yeah. was three and a half grand. Wow. Yeah. However, um, obviously, when you start on 18 grand um, and you're so broke that you're having a, a massive bowl of cereal in the morning because, you know, you're not eating again till you get home for dinner. <laughs> then and I remember being that broke, like, I genuinely didn't have lunch and seeing uh, like you and Henry Sparling, you had a competition to see who could spend the most on cheese one lunchtime <laughs> in, in Borough Market. Um, and it really encouraged you to, to get cracking and make some yeah. deals happen. Like yeah. if, if there's one thing, it was definitely like a rite of passage at the time. But no, the waiting doesn't make up for the difference. No. By the time I was kind of 26, you know, all my mates who lived up here had, were at least on their first house, if not second. Them and all their partners had cars um, and they, they lived, they were like much more sort of comfortable and went well healed compared to sort of me and all my friends. Everything in on London, London, I think you've, you've got to 
You've mm. got to wait five years for things to kick in. So all my yeah. mates in Manchester started having kids in, you know, early mid, early mid twenties and buying houses, like you say. And then everyone in London's thirty before that shit happens. So you just got to wait five years. But now is hilarious. So like me and Amma are buying houses next year, and what I can get in Sheffield compared to what he can get in London is just I, I just I love <laughs> I love sending him links. I keep sending him right move links, and he's yeah. like. You cannot buy. I will not allow you to buy that house for that amount of money. I will not allow it. I'm like, fuck you. So it's like that's the one thing because I can get to London. Don't need to be there. I'm buzzing being up here. Quick, hmm. look. What I'd like to talk about now is more personal stuff, right? So running a company is fucking hard work, and this podcast, I want people to re to know the reality of it, and that hmm. you know. It is not just about fifty staff and making loads of money, buying houses and spending money. We are making loads of money, just to, just to confirm. <laughs> yeah. Still not making loads yeah, of money. Well, yeah. well, that's that's good to know. But what what's it been like as founders of, of a business going through a global pandemic? You know, how have you guys navigated that outside of work? How's life been? It was a really. I'll, I'll mm. maybe I'll let you. Uh, I'll, I'll just sort of talk, tell my side, I suppose, Rex. But I've really struggled. Really struggled. Um, I was quite a, shall we say, vibrant character in a pretty busy office for, for most of my recruitment career. And then I was just either on my own or with Rex in a dingy, dingy office at the Ministry of Startups in Whitechapel. And, and it was a big shock for me. And I, I was, I mean, it was a big, we, I struggled a lot mentally, um, huge imposter syndrome kicking in often. Um, and also like my person, my relationship nearly broke down. We had to go through some real, real roller coasters because you I could be when... talking about me or Amy there. Really? Yeah. I'll start with, <laughs> I'll, I'll start with Amy. Yeah. Um, but you know, when I met my fiance, we, I was, uh, you know, relatively considered successful rec- recruitment leader in Opus yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, buying cheese, buying cheese at lunch for buying bare cheese, and um, <laughs> and now and then I sort of was this guy that doubted myself at every opportunity. Little things like I remember just not getting haircuts for, for months, and it, you know, like you just go down that, just wear a beanie hat all the time. Why? Because I'm only going to chef. I'm only going to to ministry of startups, which I hate and I don't want to go to, and I'm bunking the train because I don't. I haven't got no money and. You know, it, it was like a really dark, dark time. And me and Rex obviously went through our, our own individual dark times, but it was really tough. Like, I would not say it was easy in any way, shape or form. Everyone's journey will be different, of course. Uh, but I, can I, 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 I exposed a lot of my mental insecurities, I think. One of the biggest things that, that I think I exposed to me was the, the fucking comparisons. Like, I used to make yeah, so nice. many comparisons, like, Oh well, Opus's first twelve months was this, and and we're only this, and and oh. Staff Group's twelve months was this, and oh, you know, Plexus, you know, Zeth, another, you know, all these people around me that have set up businesses. I was just constantly comparing where they were, v where we were, and where we're going, and and the moment I dropped that, the the, the slightly happier I got. Yeah, it's um, massive. Imagine yeah, it was, doing this was, podcast. Imagine me doing this. Yeah. Like that, it's been honestly, that's probably been the hardest bit. I love the show; it's my favorite thing to do in in my job. But every week, I I interview people that have done better than me, basically, and it's like yeah. fucking hell. Like you think, am I, what am I? And one, I'm like, should I just go back into recruitment? You know, what am I yeah. doing? Um, 
comparison is the thief of all joy. You've just got to it stick really to your own. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and it's something that it's really cliche, but successful people always say like, winners focus on them on winners losers focus on winners yeah so yeah, you yeah. just got to concentrate yourself and and, yeah. and if you're happy with yourself it doesn't matter what others what others are like how have you um, found it rex what's been going on for you um so something yeah i mean like harry mentioned it's it, it was really really hard and everybody tells you everyone who's done it says it's the hardest thing you'll ever do and you you kind of you say yes but you'll never understand until you've done it yourself yeah. but i think the other thing you mentioned about how does it affect relationships and i think that it's important for anyone who's thinking about doing this to to bear in mind that you will you will be doing it but then everybody who is close to you is going to do it with you yeah. So as much as you need to be prepared to put yourself through that through the mill of um, going through the hardship of starting a new business, you also need to make sure that everyone around you is happy to do that too, yeah. and that they fully understand what they're about to to what they're getting on board with. Because for me, comparing lifestyles, I, I used to live in a, a condo with a choice of four swimming pools, two tennis courts and a gym on site and go to work in a skyscraper in my oxblood churches and life was good. Um, and then three months later, I was living on benefits uh, in Lewisham, working 60 hour weeks, um, coming home to a small baby um, and, and a wife who's obviously supporting me with that and uh, people don't see that side of the journey but that that took that probably went on for almost a year and that was and hard so, wasn't it so as much as me and harry went through that so did my my wife so did my kids and everybody along along the journey had to commit just as much how as did we that did. how did that go for you at home what were the biggest challenges with that um, I think the biggest challenges is that like everybody has got to trust you. Like they like you're you're telling everyone around you that that this is something that you're going to go through for a bigger and better future together. Yeah. And and they they may not be in recruitment, so they're they're kind of like putting their faith in you, um, and, and you're responsible for for delivering that. So um, you you just have to have a really really tight bond. Um, I think that. Um, any anyone who's sort of thinking of doing it like i always say the ideal time to sort of go on a new venture like this is probably if you're kind of if you're uh, like single um because if you're doing it with like family or somebody else's money or something like that they're going to come on the journey with you so you need to be you need to be one unit really yeah. i did have um mm. it, it as dark as it's been and do you know what as I've, i'm probably earning the least amount of money I've earned in recruitment for quite some time, mm. um, but I'm probably the happiest I've ever been now. And mm. I think I think that you have to make a, a real decision as to why you're doing it. My uh, one of our apprentice in in the Essex office said to me the other day, um, Harry, when when you when you were younger, like my age, she's sixteen. Um, what did you want to be when you grew up? And I like immediately said, Well, I'm doing it. Mm. Uh, and I like it was a bit of a realization for me. I was like, "Yeah, I am actually doing it. Like this is all I've, this is all I ever wanted to do was run a company." Yeah. Um, and that's what recruiter. Of, I was like, "What you were teenager <sighs> wanting to be a recruiter?" No, I never. The, when, even when I was in, you know, before recruitment and during recruitment, I always just wanted to be in business, run a mm. business. Um, all the elements of a business intrigue me, and you know, interest me. I'm fascinated by them. Um, and and so where 
where I'm at now. I'm not earning what I want to be earning. I'm building value within the organization, which hopefully mm -hmm. we can benefit from at a later date. But I'm, I'm so fulfilled because it's what I've wanted. If you, yeah. I think you've really got to be, you've really got to know what it is that you're doing it for. Yeah. Because I think so, so it, maybe a lifestyle business is absolutely what you want and you can have an amazing lifestyle business in recruitment. It's built for that. Um, but yeah, that, I think that's, as soon yeah. as I dropped the comparison and started realizing actually, have you it's guys not about the money. Have you We're guys just, ever questioned yourself? Like um, all the time, we, st we still do. Like what, yeah. one thing I would say, right, is that whilst I've just mentioned about how hard it, how hard it has been, um, the actual content of what we do day in, day out never has never stopped being fun so yeah. you know i i can leave the office um and it could have been a 12-hour day but i will feel like it's five it's been five minutes yeah, yeah because yeah. i'm just going from one task to the next and i'm enjoying everything that i'm doing day to day um you know so i'm it, conscious it, of yeah I'm, I'm conscious of time so uh, i just there was one thing i wanted to add we've recently invested in a in a guy called matt waring um nice. i worked with him at opus Okay. Um, he was a director there. Um, he he run, he sort of he's with us three days a week at the moment, and um, he lives with this philosophy of we feel a lot, we speak a little, um, and we're now working a lot more with the whole business to be more vulnerable. Talk about your vulnerabilities. Talk about you know be open, transparent about your feelings because. Often in recruitment, particularly, I think there's a there's a, a sense that you just you keep everything to yourself and you get on with it. Um, and actually that that can manifest itself in, in a lot of negativity. Um, and I think that process has, has really enabled us to, to be a little bit more rather than stress about things. We just talk about our feelings, then we get it off our chest. We all address it, you know, openly without judgment and then move on from it. Um, and I yeah. think that's been a, a process for us to just work a lot a lot more effectively together love that i think mm. self-awareness is is everything massive it's this massive. Is what life i've i've learned over the last five years that my understanding myself better leads to everything else being better so if i know you know that it's, it's funny because i've gone i've got a personal coach i see every two weeks and we've been doing it for 18 months and we talk about the second layer of judgment a lot so mm. for example if you if you behave a certain way you act a certain way, you say a certain thing. It's not necessarily that that's the problem. It's the way you judge yourself after and the way, the, the voice in your head about yourself. So if you, you view, let's say you snap at a team member, you say, get out and stop, you know, whatever, get on with your job. But I don't know, just an example of where you, you lose your rag for a split second. That's bad enough, but it's the way you'll then beat yourself up. Yeah. Rather than just dealing with it, understanding why you did it and apologizing and moving on. We'll, we're, 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 we're just predispositioned to fucking negatively roll that through our yeah. mind. And that can go into so many areas of your life. Like you say at the beginning, Rex, you're running a business, you've got your wife, you've got babies, you're living in Lewisham. It's not the vision that you'd have, you'd have ever wanted, but you know, you, you know why you're doing it. But I imagine mm -hmm. that the judgment of on you for doing, for making this call. And if it goes wrong, what the impact will be. And it's, it's a fucking merry-go-round of negativity. Yeah. That you've got to, you've got to be able to break out of. But I think like po positivity will start with that openness and vulnerability and being able to have conversations with people um, because I, I think a lot of the time how we receive um, judgment from others, we fail. We, like, we don't always understand that actually that's what are they feeling? 
that's yeah. leading to them speak like saying those things and then that helps you empathize with their perspective and then you actually understand most of the time it's all it's always coming from from a positive place um yeah. and i think that's yeah i think yeah, that's you, a lot of a lot of uh, uh, a lot of our emotions come from fear and insecurity and and address mm. it and being vulnerable and, and honest about that i'm actually you know by saying you know i might have i might have freaked out there but i'm just scared I'm scared that this might happen. Okay, how do we, you know, then then it's, you're coming from a different place then. Your your conversation is, is completely different. Well, let's look at why you're scared and let's let's try and help you, uh, you know, let's try and help you get over that fear and where's that fear coming from? And then it might be, you know, looking deeper within, uh, you, you know, yourself and, and you know, it, it gets, it, it, it can go on and on and on. But, but this is something you... that was never, ever, ever part of our business nope. history was it we, we were going through our recruitment careers this was never brought up once so it's amazing that you know you're only a small business a new business and you're already investing in that kind of mindset and, and Matt Waring Matt Waring is blocked out three days a week just having these conversations with everyone wow. every week and so everyone is now gets a lot of calls he's, yeah. he's only got two days yeah guys, two <laughs> days. hopefully hopefully he's not going to have them um but we're uh we're you know we're we're we really do push this it's i feel like it it, it helps the, the and and do you know what it's not just having this person to unload on but it's then having uh encouraging that whole culture of vulnerability and honesty i have people now coming to me and be like harry just do you mind if i i just want to say i'm feeling something and this and that and i'm like yeah Let's do that. Let's have that chat. And it's unbelievable. Like the conversation that you have becomes so much better. But it starts with just this process of it's okay to feel this and feel mm. like that. Yeah. And, and yeah, that, and that benefit, that bene the way that that benefits communication is more important than ever when you are, uh, you know, mainly communicating with each other over Slack and video calls yeah. and things like that. Yeah, for sure. To build that business in the future. It's got to be ingrained. What? Yeah. So have, you ever the... Read the hap have you ever read The Happiness Advantage? Oh, no. favorite book. I love it. It's a great book and I would recommend it. But it essentially preaches that uh, productivity is not increased by KPIs and metrics, but by being happy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, it shows it, there's like hundreds of scientific studies on it. And this guy goes all over the world teaching it. But it essentially is um, the happier you are, the more productive you will be. Um, the better your work relationships, your personal relationships, the better your product, your genuine output, um, creativity, everything is, 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 is better. So all we do is try to create a work environment where people can be happy. Um, but the, challenge with, the challenge with it in a performance related industry is like the, the happiness hypothesis Mo Gaudat wrote recently is like, Basically, when expectation meets reality, there's happiness. When when expectation and reality are not the same, there's friction. Mm. So, you know, in a world where you're setting targets all the time, reality doesn't meet those targets. It's very difficult to be happy. So, yeah. you know, yeah. it's almost count. It, your business is a bit different, but on the sales side, Rex, for example, you're going to yes. have targets this year. You're going to have yes. logos to bring in, and if that doesn't happen, I can feel it this month. Right? We've We've not quite where we need to be. We've got a week and a half left. Am I as relaxed and as happy as I was last month? No, yeah, I'm not because I expect it to be way further at this point than we are. And that 
I'm always working through that as like, how do I deal with that? But it, it's a, uh, it's an interesting one. Yeah. It, I mean, it's, it's, far, it's such a big issue that we could do an entire podcast just talking about a relationship <laughs> yeah. between happiness and success. But for me, when, you know, I would look deeper at expectations. So where are those expectations coming from? Are they coming from within? Are they what you truly want? Or are those expectations, uh, are they actually like being um, sort of like put on you from something else? Yeah. So actually, like forget success focus on being happy the success is a consequence of happiness not the other way around so if we can basically start by being happy success will come and then we can work according to like our own targets and the own things that that we want to do that make us happy that lead to success and that's that's basically our philosophy on it now so we 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 kind of I guess, do it the opposite way to what's traditional. Traditionally, it's like, hit your target, be successful, then you'll be happy. Because what we're saying is, what makes you happy? Relationships, um, you know, exercise, eating well, um, you know, mental stimulation, all these things. If that works, then you'll be able to uh, think more creatively. Uh, You'll be able to do more in the time that you have with a smile on your face and the results will follow. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's a great way. That's a great way to wrap the episode up. You know, it's about I think that is a the first time a recruitment business owner has, meant, has even brought that up in 200 episodes. Right? <laughs> so uh, it's a pretty special place to be. And, I, and I, I really hope you guys can can nail it. What final question is where what, what, what is the vision? So if you were going to say, right, you know, we're heading here. Well, you've talked about having a big business. But what does that have you got any kind of like have you got expectation around that of what that will look like? Um, our, we're, we'll, we'll probably leave it quite fluid. Our vision is quite, quite open-ended. Um, but I would say when you've obviously mentioned two embedded agencies, um, which everybody is very aware of, I would say we want to be, when you're talking to another embedded agency, you, we want you to bring up the rec hub, um, as, as a comparator. That, that was how I would see where we want to go. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. You want to be on the map in that space on a global scale, right? You want to be in the conversation. Yeah. yeah. Well, love yeah. that. Love that. Um, guys, thank you so much. It's been uh, been great fun. I've enjoyed and And you're right. We've, an hour and 10 minutes. We've got to wrap it up um, because I've got another meeting, to be honest. That's the reason. I, I could talk <laughs> to you all day. I am meeting you for lunch in about an hour, so that'll be fun. Yeah. I'll get through my meeting. Um, but if anyone does want to reach out to you, wants to ask any questions about this happiness culture, the, the embedded model, whatever, are you okay for other recruitment owners Absolutely, or aspiring yeah. owners to reach out? Yeah, and just always. Your brain? Yeah. So you're tagged on LinkedIn. That's I'll get people to message you on there. Let's definitely get you guys back on next year. Um, let's have a 12 month update. I've I've recently been interviewing people I've interviewed before, and it's just great fun because not only have we got that chemistry, but also we can listen back to what we said and see if it's actually happened. You know? And, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. Great fun. So we'll get you on in the future. Um, best of luck for everything in 2022, and uh, we'll catch up soon. Awesome. Cheers, Sean. Cheers, Thank you, as always, for listening to today's show. I truly, truly hope that you got value from it. That's the only reason I take time every week is to ensure that my audience, future and existing recruitment owners are learning from each other to make this industry that I love so much stronger. Today's episode was brought to you by Hoxo Media. I am the CEO and founder of Hoxo Media, and we are the world's leading content marketing and personal branding agency for recruitment businesses specifically. So we are working with over 200 agencies and 2,000 recruiters right now 
both managing the brands, producing content, building written, video, podcast content for niche recruitment agencies all over the world, as well as coaching at a desk level, individual recruiters in your businesses, how to be better on LinkedIn. That's how to brand themselves. That's how to produce content. That's how to use the opportunity on LinkedIn to get traffic to their profiles and turn that into business. We're coaching people all over the world every single day. If any of that sounds of interest, please do visit www.hoxomedia.com or drop me, Sean Anderson, a personal message on LinkedIn. I would love to talk to you. Tune in again next week on LinkedIn. I'll see you soon.